Hey everyone, welcome to the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. I'm Loren, and I will be interviewing some of the top leaders and innovators from the dance and acrobatic industry. If you are a teacher, performer, student, or a lifelong learner like myself, you are sure to find these episodes intriguing and full of inspiration. Acrobatic Arts is passionate about providing current and relevant information for everyone. So please, sit back and enjoy as we share our passion with you and the world. Here we go, another exciting episode of the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. Today's conversation promises to be a captivating exploration into the world of acrobatics with a guest who stands out as a true master in the realms of balancing and limbering. Please join me in welcoming the incredibly talented Drew Burgess. Drew Burgess, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you, Miss Loren. I love being on the Acrobatic Arts podcast so much. And I might even say it's an extra special honor having you on the show because one of the episodes you did last season, episode 56, Analyzing and Refining the Aerial, was the number one most listened to episode of 2023 for the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. Congratulations, Drew, on this incredible achievement. Oh, thank you so much. Such a treat. I love, love chatting about Afro and all things dance. Now, I know our audience is eager to learn about balancing and limbering, but before we do that, can you tell them a little bit about your journey and the expertise that you bring to the table? You could share a little bit about your background, how you got started in acro dance, and the exciting work that you're currently involved in. I would love to share a little bit about me. So uh, I grew up uh, in basically kind of in that like competitive dance sector, if you will, but I started kind of backwards. I started with uh, like a tumbling or a gymnastics sort of style class. And then I started to add in like tap and then jazz and then finally ballet. I've trained at an all ballet school for a while as well. Um, but uh, acro and dance was always like kind of just a a safe place for me to call home. I loved being upside down, inverting my body. So um, I, I was kind of on a, a bit more of a junior Olympic gymnastic trajectory for a while, um, but I ended up segueing a little bit more into dance just because I loved music so much too as well. And um, I'm now, of course, uh, you know, a dance educator and uh, I'm, I'm proud faculty member for acrobatic arts and several other organizations as well. Um, I teach and I judge uh, and I choreograph worldwide. Um, and most recently I've been working with the Ohio State University dance team on their acro skills as well. So I'm, I'm always doing something. <laughs> I know. And I really do thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. And that is such a fantastic acro and dance journey that you've been on. Now let's shift our focus to balancing and limbering. When we're talking about balancing, what are some balancing skills that come to your mind? So balancing skills to me, this could mean balancing on your bucket, like your, your booty. This could mean balancing on like your shoulders, could mean balancing on uh, your head, your forearms, your elbows, uh, your hands. So um, a seated uh, like straddle hold where like we're seated double leg hold is what we call it in our syllabus. 
Um, but having that skill with the legs out to the side where you're seated on the bucket, you kind of start with them in a butterfly, extending one leg out, extending the other, then trying to maintain that nice balance on the bucket. That's a great balance skill that a lot of people to me, they they either really love it or they really don't. So making sure that you kind of start them and, and encourage them to be able to balance on the bucket, balance on the head, the shoulders, the back, the chest, any type of way that you can get them to balance. Don't forget that they're seated too, like a seated balance, but also even a balance on their belly, like where they're um, holding their legs and their ankles behind them. Sometimes we call it a rocking boat or like a rocking horse. Um, where they're they're grabbing their ankles behind them, I try to change up and and give them as many balance points as I can possibly think of because it's not always balancing just on our feet or just on our hands. Sometimes it is the belly, the bucket, and the back too. I love that the belly, the bucket, and the back. Yeah, awesome. Or shoulders, um, if you will, too. Right. Yeah. And when we're talking about limbering, could you give us some examples of limbering skills? Absolutely. So. Some lovely limbering skills that I love are just going down to bridge and doing a, be able to, being able to do a nice bridge recover. I love some good bridge prances, um, and you can do those with bent legs or with straight legs. Um, you can, of course, really control and going down like a 16 count bridge and recover moment. Anything that you can possibly think of that goes through, like a front limber would be like a handstand, a bridge, a bridge and recover. Back Arabian limber would be going down to bridge, pushing off of both feet, through, passing through that handstand and then landing back down with their feet on the floor. Um, and then you can also kind of combine some lovely balancing and limbering elements as well. So once your kids have mastered like maybe a handstand walking moment, they could do a handstand walking, hold it, or maybe do a half or a full pirouette, do a half front walkover, then continue with some bridge prances and then go into a back walkover. There's so many fun things that can happen once we combine and really master our muscles for strength and flexibility to create lovely balancing and limbering variations. Why do you think these are important aspects of acro dance? Well, I, I think that they are so, so important to hit on and to touch on in every class that we have with our acro dancers, because to me, it's almost like the reward for like, like tumbling is the reward for good balancing and limbering, right? So I think a lot of times it kind of, um, or back in the day, it might've been a little bit more, uh, it seemed it seemed okay for teachers to kind of let their kids skip uh, progressions or skip the skill ladder a little bit just to try new things. And that's not necessarily conducive to producing a well-rounded, injury-free, truly employable acro dancer. Limbering and balancing skills are going to show up, especially as we want to try to increase the variations and the um, and the the different themes that might come through whenever you're trying to convey a message or a story. Um, so I really do feel pretty passionate that. Balancing and limbering should not be optional in any acro dance class ever. <laughs> I know you mentioned sort of that some teachers might pass on those two aspects in their class. And I think maybe one of the reasons is the students might find balancing hard to do. Do you have any tips for teachers? Oh, absolutely. So 
you can of course use the walls to help um you know help your dancers balance more but sometimes uh it's just sort of like getting over that like hump so to speak uh you have to make sure that you know that we're starting them off on the right foot and we're not uh giving them too much too soon so instead of like making them balance on their hands right away i love trying to make my kids get to do a headstand first Sometimes they they find a better balance point if you kind of get their center of gravity a little bit lower towards the floor. I mean, let's be real here. Even a bridge, like standing with, or with one appendage off the ground, like lifting off one arm or one leg, that's already starting to become a little bit of a balance moment for them too. So they're balancing and limbering at the same time. So I love a two bird, one stone moment like that in class. There's lots of different ways to kind of... Uh, partition things off and give them just a little taste of it before you dive right into, you know, handstand walking 20 feet. <laughs> right. I agree. I think once they find that sweet spot, they really do end up balancing, but you really do have to take the time to encourage them. And as you said, get them over that hump of, or maybe yeah. even fear of going upside down. I don't know if you have exactly. any experience with students who have been fearful of going upside down. Oh yeah, absolutely. And sometimes like uh, even just like, like partitioning off a skill, say, maybe say like it's uh, going down to bridge and like doing a bridge recover for something as simple as that. Although it, it may sound, you know, like simple to some, it's actually really complex for a lot of dancers out there. So sometimes it's just a matter of like lifting the arms up over their head and just looking at their hands. Like sometimes that's scary for people to put their arms up and just look at their fingertips. So then once they've kind of gotten over that fear, then it's like get one hand to touch the wall behind you, then bring it back forward, then the other one, and then try to do both. So you might create progressions for the progressions that we already have and know and love and, and utilize. Exactly. And I know that you are a firm believer of building flexibility and strength in your dancers. Yes. Yeah, for many reasons. And you actually did an episode on cross training, which I thought was great. And everyone should go listen to that as well. How do you think the flexibility and strength components enter when we're talking about balancing and limbering? Well, to me, they're really not options or just suggestions for excellent balancing and limbering. If you want to be a great balancer, great, great at limbering, you have to have strength and flexibility. And they really have to be pretty evenly balanced. We want like the exact same amount of flexibility and the exact same amount of strength to really support that beautiful balancing and limbering. So if there's any steps or any like moments that were kind of skipped across the, uh, you know, like those, uh, across the, those kind of skill requirements, if you will, or like the base or the roots of the skill, you're going to kind of see that creep up sooner than later if things aren't nice and even, especially when you go in towards like, like towards adding variations and whatnot. So to me, it's really flexibility and strength are those main factors. And although I, I will say here, there may be some dancers and some acro dancers out there who could maybe overcompensate in their strength or in their flexibility. Um, but eventually I am a firm believer that the body is going to pull the karma card at some point or another. They might have a pretty long, successful career, but it might come back to kind of burn them later in life um, if they're not, you know, keeping their strength and balance nice and even. Drew, I've 
often heard you refer to balancing and limbering maybe as the quiet portion or the quietest portion of your classes. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? So um, to me, uh, at least in my class, and I, I talk about this a lot in choreography as well, but the limbering portions should really be the quote unquote quiet moments to me because uh, it, sh it there shouldn't be really any sound. Like there shouldn't be any like moans and groans or grunts or anything like that. Um, they're, they should be working through their hands really nicely whenever they're doing good limbering, just like in good ballet, like when we're working through our feet and, you know, we're rolling through the floor, toe, ball, heel, peeling off the floor, heel, ball, toe. It's the exact same concept with our hands, too. So you really shouldn't hear your dancers going down to bridge. Um, you may see them, but you shouldn't actually hear their hands slamming against the floor. They should be rolling through their fingertips and then peeling back up through their hands to maybe to recover out of the bridge. Um, in the balancing portion as well, it should be nice and quiet. You shouldn't hear like a or, or uh, feel like the stage shake or shudder or anything just because your head or your hands are touching the floor or whatever. So it's to me, it's one of my favorite portions because I will purposely turn down my music <laughs> during like the balancing and the limbering portions either of class or even in the piece of choreography just to make sure that they're not louder than the music. That is a great idea. I love that. Because we do want our dancers to have control, and if they have control, they will be able to be soft and quiet, as you said. So that's a great way to sort of check that they're, yeah, doing, yeah that yeah. they're doing their job and staying safe. Absolutely, and I mean, I'm expecting a little bit of sound on the tumbling, but even tumbling, usually quick, good tumbling is also kind of quiet too. Not, it's not usually super loud. Now. Uh, there's there's lots of different ways to about like you know kind of making it a little more gentle and less impactful on the joints but for the most part we really shouldn't be louder than our music unless we're wearing tap shoes <laughs> and you mentioned that balancing and limbering is the best way to create more variations can you expand on that yeah, so I find that once you have mastered uh, like some good balancing and some good limbering skills, those are really the areas where you're going to find more success in order to create more fun and exciting variations. Um, so, for example, like it could be like maybe let's just chat about like a tabletop or even a bridge, right? So you're in your tabletop. And we, you know, we've got them at least strong enough to be able to hold that position, hold that shape. So maybe you add in like, you know, tondus in tabletop. Maybe you have them turn around in a circle in a tabletop. Maybe in class, you're having them do like an obstacle course in their tabletop. And they have to cr crawl and climb up and over stacks of mats and down them. Um, and then it could eventually go into a bridge, right? That whole entire tabletop aspect could be turned into like a bridge, like for a bridge walk with a pirouette around yourself, right? And as we kind of work more intermediate, if you will, uh, could be sort of like a handstand quarter, half, or full pirouette to a forward roll or a front walkover or cartwheel out of it. Um, and then as we get even more advanced, like you have handstand hops, handstand walking, um, and then you could add in like a, like a seated straddle press from our balancing elements as well. 
Um, but then it'd be kind of fun to combine everything, right? You could have handstand walking, have a handstand pirouette, a handstand to straddle press and straddle press back up to handstand. You could front walk over out of there. I mean, there's just so many fun aspects to w once you have like good, strong roots of balancing and limbering, everything in Afro just gets so much more fun and it becomes uh, like a whole new world. You know, they, there's a lot of imagination that you can kind of just get inspired from, a lot of great ideas that you can get inspired from just because you've mastered those good balancing and limbering elements because of your strength and flexibility. Ooh. And let's talk about handstand walking. I know this can also sort of be a roadblock in some acro teachers' classes. How would you start someone handstand walking and what would your tips be to get them to be able to do it longer and, and more steps? Well, I love to start handstand walking sooner than later because <laughs> I find that even if they haven't necessarily fully mastered a perfectly stacked handstand, I kind of call it like um, like a sort of like a contemporary handstand walk, if you will. Um, the legs might even stay bent, but they're just learning to sort of take small steps on their hands and just to invert their weight a little bit and get their feet up or their hips somewhat stacked towards the shoulder line, right? So it may not even look like an actual legit perfect handstand walk. You might be training that for like two years, five years, depending on the, the experience and the uh, level of the dancer and how much time they practice at home. But I actually start it at the wall as well. So once we have that nice, strong, like, you know, sense of of good stacking, I may, I encourage my dancers to start walking with th their, their, fr their front of their body at the wall, the back of their body at the wall, just kind of staying in place at the wall, and then trying to lift off the legs, and then eventually the side of their body at the wall, so that way they can kind of lean into the wall if they need to. But I, I actually start this skill very, very young. Any type of inversion and small, small steps is going to help them with their handstand walking. When training handstand walking, I think it's really crucial and really important to remember and remind our dancers that it's handstand walking, not handstand running. They actually need to step you know, forward. They have to tendu, they have to lunge, they have to actually T-lever flat back arabesque to get up into that handstand so it does move forward as they handstand. Then once they are established in the handstand, then they begin walking. A lot of times the, the mistakes that I see are way too big of steps. So it's actually about small steps. So that way the balance uh, doesn't have to be completely readjusted like to a crazy wild degree. And they start walking before they're even in a handstand. So once those two elements are kind of uh, tackled, if you will, and kind of tied up, then all of a sudden the handstand walking hopefully gets a lot easier for everybody. Start them young and start them as soon as possible. Um, and encourage any type of handstand walking. So sometimes like some of my kids will just have one or two walks or two or three walks. And so I don't try to tell them to get to 35 and like get to five, just get two more, you know, and then it becomes more attainable. And then they want to come back and they want to practice and they want to show it off a little bit more. But really handstand walking is truly one of my favorite acro skills ever. And I don't necessarily need to see you tumble and like do 4 million front aerials and side aerials and all those variations. If you show me that you can handstand walk really nicely with a good straight body or a good, you know, curved handstand, but a straight body alignment, if you will, like 
eyes at fingertips, just focusing, taking small steps. If I see that and I see that you can do at least like eight to 16, I am very impressed with your acro dance journey as a teacher. So I love some good handstand walking. Do you have students who can handstand walk and can't hold their handstand or vice versa? Uh, yeah, I actually do find I have a, I have several students who prefer to handstand walk either forward, sideways or backwards, but do not love to balance necessarily for like maybe longer than five to eight seconds in a handstand. So it's not totally uncommon. And for me, I'm sort of like at that point where if you can't beat them, join them. Like I don't necessarily have to have an entire group hold a handstand for my acro pieces. Sometimes it's like one person in a handstand two people in an elbow stand, somebody in a head stand, somebody in a shoulder stand. So it's kind of a nice variance with your choreography too. That way you, the kids who can hold it can show it off. And then the other kids who maybe aren't quite there have other options of showing great balance points too, balance skills. And as we know, the more your students practice at home, the better they're going to get with the more time that's put into a skill. Do you have any suggestions for your students or other people's students on what they can do at home? Absolutely. I'm a huge advocate of practicing at home. I was very lucky as a kid because I had uh, my parents kind of built like kind of makeshift dance studios for me in our houses. So I was very lucky. I had a devoted space for that. However, not everybody has that option. So I am gonna talk a little bit here about like safe practice at home and outside of a professional setting. Um, I do wanna remind people to clear the, the area and the space and that includes pets. Make sure that our, <laughs> our furry friends are out of kicking range. We do not want to, to let Fido fly through the air because we decided to do our, you know, our, our, our handstand walks in the living room. Um, so I also recommend to make sure that you're not alone. Uh, I don't think it's a good choice to be like parent free or guardian free or, you know, at least have brother or sister or cousin around. Let a neighbor know if you're there alone and th that you might be going upside down. I just I, I get nervous that people aren't being supervised and that's a real problem because we don't want to be in that situation of help I've fallen and I can't get up <laughs> so um you know of course a friend or family nearby a good proper warm-up listen to your space and the body I actually do recommend to not have your music too loud so that way um, you know, like you can hear if your furniture is shaking or if there's a vase that's on the mantle that might be a little sketchy or a little rickety. We just want to make sure that nothing's going to get broken, especially things like like the human body itself. I mean, things are replaceable, but bodies aren't. So just making sure that you're being aware of your surroundings, right? A good proper warm up. And then I always say, like, start with your root skills first. Like, if your goal is to, you know, maybe handstand walk or, you know, balance even in a handstand or, you know, just hold a beautiful handstand, then do a nice front walk over out of it, whatever it might be, start with the handstand itself. Start with a few front walkovers. Start with just five handstand walks or two handstand walks, and then make sure you listen to your body and your space. Um, oftentimes you can hear things go kind of awry uh, uh, regarding furniture, regarding, you know, lamp posts or whatever might be kind of nearby. You just want to make sure that you're being careful and cautious. Um, fancy family heirlooms as well. We don't want to be like be breaking picture frames and stuff like that. 
I just keep reminding everybody to clear the hallway walls a lot. Um, if you have hallways, yes, they're fun to uh, put, you know, put up, put up fancy pictures on. But hallways, I know it sounds a little harsh, but your dancer or or you <laughs> may do one bad cartwheel with bent legs in a hallway, and you'll learn very quickly that you have to straighten your legs and point your feet if you want to not hit the walls of the hallway. So actually practicing in a quote unquote pretend and acro hallway and legit actual hallway, it's not necessarily a bad idea. I just want to make sure that we preface all of this with safety first and foremost. Please do not be unsupervised while you are inverting. That is great advice. And any teachers out there, I think Drew just gave the perfect list for you to write down and give to your <laughs> students. There's no excuse for not practicing at home and not practicing safe, as Drew mentioned. Yeah, it is possible. It is attainable. But just like it's one of those like, you know, school of hard knocks moments. You're going to learn it. Um, ho and hopefully you don't learn from the school of hard knocks. You like learn from us and learn from our experiences over the years because we've kind of all been there at one point or another. But, um, you know, just taking it slow, really following the progressions. You app that is going to be super helpful use the um you know anything that we can help uh with our help our dancers to make sure that they stay safe and that they're actually regimented and really focusing on those you know those proper skills at their level working at the level not really too far above it whenever we're practicing at home drew before we wrap up today's episode are there any last words of wisdom you have for our listeners my last words of wisdom regarding balancing and limbering is to keep fighting the good fight. Uh, oftentimes, especially in teenagers, they don't love to limber as much if they've started a little later in their acro dance journey. Keep going with it, though. Keep wanting to, wanting them to, you know, get those nice bridges that are that have their shoulders in line with their hands. Keep encouraging them to practice balancing on their forearms, on their head, uh, on their hands, on their shoulders, on their chest. Any type of practice is good practice and encourage them at home. Give them small rewards. Um, like it doesn't even have to be anything like, like monetary. This could be something as simple as like a picture or a Facebook or Instagram post on you know your social media. It could be just a story post. Um, but give them small rewards for achieving these nice, like, little limbering and balancing moments that are really going to add up to a, a much more well-rounded and diverse acro dancer. Drew Burgess, thank you for being an exceptional guest on the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. It's been an enlightening and most enjoyable conversation. Oh, thank you so much, Loren. I love it so much, and I'm so grateful to be back on it. Drew, thank you so much for gracing us with your expertise and passion for balancing and limbering. And for our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Acrobatic Arts Podcast. Remember, we would love to hear any thoughts, suggestions, or ideas that you might have for future episodes. Email admin at acrobaticarts.com. Until next time, keep chasing your dreams and finding balance in every aspect of your life. Thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day.